Hello, welcome back to the Virtual Velo Podcast. This is episode 36. I think this could be one of the uh, the most intriguing, exciting, interesting podcasts we've done for a little while. We have been a little bit quiet this last month, but that's because we've been building up anticipation for this particular episode. And that's because I am joined by co-host Chris. But Chris, you're not in your usual surrounding should I say I, I know you're in a, a different country a different continent and uh, definitely a different room from what I can see tell us a bit where you are oh sorry everything's different about where I am I'm, I'm nine hours different than, than the my normal time which I've still I've been here for four days and I still have not uh, acclimated to the time change but yeah so I'm uh, sitting in a hotel right now in, in Abu Dhabi I've been here geez I left my house on Monday that was the 21st no Sunday the 21st left my house at 9 a.m travel and a 12 hour flight to get here nine hour time difference I'm actually flying out today so it's going to be Saturday morning I think right flying out at 3 a.m so I'll have been up for another 30 hours before I hop on a 14 hour flight back home. But to tell you the truth, it's uh, it's been a really eye-opening experience. I've learned a significant amount about the culture, about being a professional journalist. I mean, I'm lucky enough to be around 20 really highly respected international journalists here. And collaborating with them has, has been a really valuable experience. Besides reveal the details of the upcoming UCI Cycling Esports World Championships. Yeah, absolutely. We're definitely going to dive into that. But, um, you know, it, you sounded a little bit tired, I must say, at the start. But I know it's not all been, I know you're not a great traveler, but from what I've seen from the images on social media, Chris, it's looked like a, a great trip. And, and of course, we're going to dive into the details of the UCI Cycling Esports World Championships. But I want to understand a little bit more about what's happening in the UAE, UAE and, and with my wish in the government and, and just the, you know, the community over there as well. So maybe, you know, did you get a chance to really embed yourself in what was happening in terms of the cycling infrastructure and, and culturally with, with those sort of things. So I've seen some images of you riding out there. We're going to talk about some of the celebs I saw you riding out there, but but also what you know you're riding with some kids from a local club and so on. So what, what's happening on the ground over there? First of all, I want to say that I'm not naive to the fact that I'm being presented a very filtered view of what's going on here. It's their job to create an impression, and they're doing a very good job of that. Aside from you know that, I've I've gone and taken some walks by myself, and like I said, it's been really eye opening. There is zero homelessness here. There's zero unemployment here. Now there's there's side there are two sides to that argument. I'm not picking a side right now. I'm just making an observation, right? Yep, sure. Facilities, the the way that thing there there is zero crime here. We 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 had twenty brand new ten thousand dollar bikes that we left on the step and went inside for four hours, and they were all sitting there when we went back out. It's a it's a unique place. Now, I'm not saying that good, bad, indifferent. I'm here to cover an event, and, and that's what I am now coming back with my firsthand experience and letting you know. One of the issues or one of the things that comes up is, you know, is, this, is the investment in cycling an earnest investment or is it an investment in, in the public image? I can say that there is a very vibrant cycling culture here. There is a really hot racing scene. There's a pro- I think there's like 75 races on the, on the amateur calendar here in, in Abu Dhabi. Oh, wow. um, and so, some big time races too. A couple of the guys here are some real real hot racers. The first day we went out to ride in a, I think it was a 15K closed circuit, totally exclusively for, for cycling and running out in the middle of the desert with lights open 24 hours a day. You can go and ride for free and you know never, never a car, you know, just ride around. They have, they have some great races there. 
So that's where we rode the first day. You know, in the evening here right now, it's, it's not really super hot. So it, it was really comfortable. The second day we rode in a F1, you know, Formula One track here in Gaz uh, Marina in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, that's all that. And that was really interesting also. So they open up the track two afternoons and two mornings a week just for, for uh, local people to just come and use the, use the track to, to train and ride. And when I was there, there were probably 300 people just riding around. They, they lend out bikes for free. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the racing there then with, with so many races. You know, you've, you've ridden there. But in reality, with, with sort of, when are these races taking place? Then? Are these taking place, these races taking place in the morning and the evening? Because you know, I imagine it's super hot middle of the day there to be racing. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because there, there's one guy that's actually on the MyWish um, executive team. And he tells me that he trains outdoors all year round. You know, when, it, when it's really hot, he goes either really early in the morning or, or late in the evening. He said that there are three months where it's oppressive and it's difficult for him. But otherwise, you know, the training is fairly comfortable. They have a window of about six months where they can do some, uh, some, some serious racing. Oh, it makes sense. You know, so the other thing I noticed from your pictures as well, when you were riding around that, that racetrack there, uh, and I know the, the Grand Prix is also coming up, incidentally. So I guess that that's, that is the track that's used for that. But what I could see from the images, yes, there was you guys and, and a couple of the pros and, uh, and a couple of other riders with you all kicked out. But there also seemed to be other people riding on the track on sort of flat bars, bikes, you know, not necessarily in uh, racing gear and Lycra and that kind of thing. So is it, is, you know, is the community generally getting involved? And is it somewhere where anyone can go and just ride? Yeah, absolutely. The, those flat bar bikes that you saw were the, the lenders. They, uh, people were lining up. There were hundreds of people lined up to, to uh, get their bikes and, and head out onto the track. Families, you know, people pushing strollers. You know, it was, it was like really an event. And there were, you know, people were, were going there to do some exercise. And it was free, totally free. No, it's absolutely amazing, Sam. So, what about the actual experience then of, of my wish? You know, it's, it's great that we've, you know, you've, you've learned so much about or what you can see in terms of what's happening culturally there and, and cycling and so on. Uh, but what about in terms of, of the MyWish as, as an organization then? Have you, did you get a chance to look at their facilities and, and get some insights um, into sort of their vision and, and how they are interacting with the community, but then how are they looking to reach a broader community? Yeah, so we, we didn't see the headquarters, and you know that, that was like something that never came up. I guess maybe that wasn't a very exciting place to go. Yeah, no, we didn't see the headquarters. Although Zach Nair, uh, who was you know an elite racer, he uh, came a couple of days early and did the Sunday race club from the headquarters, and he told me yeah, that it was really that. nice. Yeah, he actually ended up having a really good race. He said it was very motivating. They had music pumped in and, and everything else, and we've actually had a good time. Uh, Zach and I here, we've. Uh, we uh, connected while we were here. It was, it was uh, nice to be able to speak to him and shake his hand. So as far as the executive team, the, the impression that I get is that they have their minds in the right place, right? It's, it's easy to say, oh, that you know, money uh, cures all ills. But if, you're, if you don't have the right philosophy and if you don't have the right people that care enough about being stewards for the sport, then all the money in the world isn't going to get you anything. I really feel that that's the case. And they're really open and receptive. Yeah. No, it, I, I, you mentioned money. We, we've got to talk about money as well. You and I have both done some content historically, both written. I did a video not so long ago on my wish. I'm sure people have seen some of the comments down in the comment section on those articles. And, you know, and the thing that does come up is sports washing. 
you know, but of course, it, it's not just sports washing when we look at esports, but there are many sports where this term gets thrown around. Um, you know, and obviously touch on human rights, the sports washing issues and so on. Did you, I guess it's not the time and the forum to, to talk about that when you're there as a guest on the, on this kind of press event, but it, you know, is that something to think that we we've got to explore in a bit more detail? Well, I think we certainly do. And I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you how I approached it when I was here. Um, one day we sat down for dinner and I found out that the person sitting right next to me was the head of legal for my wish, right? He was, he was the only one wearing a suit. So I had a pretty good idea that he was the guy. So I kind of was skirting around the question. What, how, what is your response? What is your legal response? And it was, it was really quite interesting because I expected him to be able to come right out and say, this is what we say. But he said, you know, it's, it's not really something that we, th we think or talk about because if you, you can see what's going on here, you know, the, the, this investment is, is earnest in the cycling infrastructure. There are people here that love to ride their bikes. There's people that are riding all over. You know, so it wasn't like something that was foremost on his mind, which I thought that was kind of interesting, whether, you know, whether that's the case or not, all, all I can report back to you is what I was told. And he, he seemed sincere to me. I know it's a very nuanced topic and I know it's a, it, it's a visceral one for a lot of people. I'm not a political analyst. I didn't embed myself with the, the workers here or, or anything like that. The one thing I can tell you, and when I spoke to somebody else here concerning the issue about the treatment of the workers, and you know, there's, there's so much construction going on, right? There are, it, it almost looks like each day you could see that the, the city spread out further. Like when we were driving in the outskirts of town, it seemed like they were building houses for, for people that didn't even live here yet. Yeah, you know, the human rights violations, the, you know, the, the workers are treated poorly. But what the what they say here is that you know if if they're coming here and being treated poorly, then what does that say about where they came from, right? They're they're coming here and they're living they're they're making a wage, and they chose to come here. How does that you know? How does that what does that say about where they came from? So you know whether that's the right way to look at it or not. I'm not I'm not here to judge that. I'm just saying that's the the response that I received. Yeah, like you say, I think it's a, it's a complex, nuanced topic. And I, and I must admit, you know, it's not something I'd like proactively really sat down and deeply thought about until I started to do, uh, you know, some content and, and, you know, see my whoosh come onto the scene. And then when I really sort of dug a little bit deeper and, and thought about where, you know, where money comes from in sport or different organizations and corporations globally you know and where those companies are based there are there are so many brands and organizations if we if i took a really sort of clean look at it and wanted to clean all that up my wife that i tell you what i'd have no hardware i'd have hardly any software to use you know if, if we if we keep going back you know and maybe i could judge my own country on that that too historically uh but yeah so re really really interesting there and obviously you know, we, it, it's a topic we're going to continue to explore. And I think we're, we're planning on getting some more experts on the show in the future to maybe have that discussion moving forward. I guess the big thing that we want to talk about today is, is what's going to be happening with the UCI and the Cycling World Champs. I know you've had a chance to sit down with Michael Rogers, Le Pontier as well. So David Le Pontier, right? Le Pontier. I'm trying, I'm trying to improve my French yes. accent there, Chris. <laughs> you bet. Very, you, were, you were perfect, poorly. Ty. I'm you know, not so sure. Trust me, I was practicing the uh, pronunciations too. Like I'm, I'm terrible like, with that, as you know, and I wanted to get it right because I was, I didn't want to look like a fool in front of all the actual real pro journalists that were here. I, I, I've been taking quite abuse lately about my uh, pronunciation of names, as you know, as I've been doing some more commentary. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully those two were close. And you know, you obviously met Tade Pogacar as well as a, a what the highest profile rider, I would say, on that press press tour. But I think what we're going to do for in terms of 
the UCI Cycling Esports world, we've got to get the man in. We've got to get the expert in who knows it. The guy who I think presented what the format is going to be to you while you were over there in Abu Dhabi. So we are going to talk to Matt Smithson in a bit more detail, of course, about that. And he's going to tell us all about the race format, hopefully the qualification process as well. But I'm really interested to learn a bit more about, you know, what's happening in terms of the verification, you know, moving forward as well, because this is always a hot topic in, in cycling esports. So was that something that you discussed uh, whilst you were there, Chris? Well, I know what you're alluding to, Sai, because it's the, uh, the, the talk of the elite racing community. On uh, Tuesday, you know, the, the time is, is like just just to blur at this point. It's been, been a whirlwind here, but. Late Tuesday, early Wednesday, my phone was blowing up because there were some really high-profile annulments that happened in, in last week's yep. Sunday Race Club. The actual the race that Zach raced in, and it, it propelled him up to the podium. You know, not not in the way that anybody would want to get up to the podium, but yeah. So there were some really high-level annulments, and I've had a, the opportunity to speak to Matt uh, off the record about that. You know, we had some discussions with the, with the, the PR team here, and he's a uh, given the green light to discuss that with us uh, on the podcast. So we're going to explore that as thoroughly as we can, as he has the, the ability to speak about that. But yeah, it's uh, it's actually really pretty interesting. And yeah, no, let's, let's get Matt in and we'll have that discussion. Uh, I know it's, you know, the names are out there. It's, it's clear to see on the website, but uh, yeah, so no, no doubt we can talk about those names, but let's wait till we get Matt in. Uh, and then we can talk about, you know, what's going to happen moving forward with the performance verification, because I know also the UCI are involved in that process. And I know you also had this interview with Michael Rogers about some of the the innovations and the developments and the work they're doing, I think, with the university, in fact, in terms of standardizing, I, I guess, the power meters or the, the equipment used, but also the communication protocol. You know, I was really impressed by my conversation with Michael Rogers. I really was. It was one of the best interviews I've ever done. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, but it wasn't because of me. It was because of him. He was so engaging. And like, the first question that I asked him, and we're going to, we're going to uh, play, like I recorded it. So we're going to, that's going to be uh, one of the topics of our next podcast, which hopefully we're going to do very shortly. First question I asked him, I said, you know, you're the, the head of innovation and esports for the UCI. How much of your job actually involves esports? And I expected him to tell me, well, you know, we, we, uh, we look at that every now and then, but I'm, I'm too busy looking at brake levers and things. He said, no, you know, it's, it's almost 50, you know, 40 to 50% of the work, of the work that I do. And then, you know, expanding on the questions that I was asking him, I've got a very strong sense that he knew what he was doing and had, had a very strong vision and had a direction. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, like you say, I listened to that interview and I think it was uh, very good. And, and it's good that he was so open with, with the information he shared too. And, you know, I think he's, he's in a really unique position because, of course, he's been involved directly. You know, I think he was one of the partners or co-developers of, of another cycling esports platform um, as well. So he's, he's got some first-hand experience in that, in that space too as well. So, yeah, we're going to save that for the next podcast. So, of course, we're going we're gonna to cover those interviews that uh, Chris you did with both David Lapontier and Michael Rogers in a bit more detail and it'd be great to explore some of that verification but today it's all about the cycling esports world championships that are taking place in October so it is time to introduce our guest Matt Smithson from MyWoosh and we're going to dive a bit deeper and learn all about the qualification and what is exactly going to be happening for the UCI cycling esports world later this year. Matt, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. This is Matt Smithson from My Wish. Matt, you've been uh, you've been a busy boy this last couple of days, and not only just entertaining Chris and keeping his legs spinning on the bike, but uh, you've been busy with press conferences, meetings with the UCI, and, and all sorts. So, bit been a busy few days. 
Yeah, mate, it's been it's been out of control is probably not the right word, but it's been a stressful few days. It's been fantastic to bring everybody um, to Abu Dhabi and to work with them here live. Um, it's fantastic to show them Abu Dhabi and the place and, and what it's bringing to the cycling culture. Uh, exciting to go through some new features and functionalities and some roadmap about MyWish itself, but more importantly, to make the announcements that we, we did last night regarding what's happening with the eSport World Championship for 2024, the announcements of the stages, the routes, how it's going to work, and can't wait to, to get out to your audience and, and your support uh, network to, um, to, so they know about it a bit more. No, I can tell you, you're as excited as I am about learning. Uh, well, I'm, I'm definitely excited to know what's going to happen with the UCI cycle in esports world. But I guess, you know, I, I follow you on social media as well, Matt. And I see that you've, I mean, you've moved out to Abu Dhabi, but you've moved your family out there as well. So, you know, what, what, how are you, you know, as a cyclist then, how are you fine? I've already spoke to Chris about how, what he's seen in terms of what he's been presented from a press point of view. But you're now living out there, you know, day to day. You know, give gives your insights of what's happening in terms of the cycling infrastructure in, in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, look, it's it's an awesome place to ride. I'm not looking forward to the summer, I'll be honest there. There's six or eight weeks where it's a little bit brutal. But from outside of that perspective, it's a it's a place where infrastructure has been built and designed um, specifically for cyclists. So um, Chris came out and joined at the three of the main circuits that we, we use here, which is our WAFPA, which is uh, it's about a 40-minute drive out of Abu Dhabi, and it's got a 30-kilometer I don't know, it's 15 metres wide, 30-kilometre, um, 8-kilometre track that's open 24-7, has lights constantly. We went to Yas Formula One circuit and we, we tried to go for the KOM around there with a few journalists and ex-professionals and um, one leading SRC racer. And we fell a little bit short, but Philip Gilbert, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a warning coming his way for next time. Um, but it's look, it's open <laughs> a couple of nights a week um, and a couple of mornings a week to train. Uh, and then where the press conference was at Hedera Island last night, uh, there's a, a couple of different 10-kilometre laps there. You can get there 24-7. So sometimes you have a little bit of transport to get to training, but everything is off the roads. It's purpose-built. So training here is not, not an issue at, at all. In fact, it's a little bit of a destination, as Chris will probably uh, attain to, that um, you get on your bike and it's something different. Like, I think it was last Monday night, um, we had a ride with Zach Nair. And Zach was like, there's a couple of thousand people here riding around Yas Marina. There's free bikes for people that want to come along. Um, and when we were there, there was, you know, it was busy enough, that's for sure. There was certainly a thousand people or more there. But yeah, look, coming out here, um, it, it's friendly, it's accessible, it's it's a lot more westernized than what people would expect. Um, you know, there's restaurants and there's bars and there's hotels and it's, you know, outlook living on the water and boat rides and all those things that you see on the, uh, on the television and things like that. Um, it's on my kid. We actually had a conversation at home the other night where I think it's my wife and my kids um, that'll want to stay and it'll be me that probably eventually <laughs> wants to go home. No, it's what it's uh, it's what I've got a couple of friends who who are also working out there and and you know they're constantly saying you, you should come out you know and, and just spend some time here or or even move out here at some point but you know and I've, I've seen some of the the images both on the bike and off the bike from Chris so I know you guys have had had a great time while you're over there but I want to talk about that you know because I'm excited to learn I know the audience want to learn about this but why was it so important to have such a, a big press unveiling then of, of what's coming with with my wish in the UCI Look, I think it's a little bit around building um, 
building relationships is probably the best way to put it and having normalization of our platform. Yeah, we, what we really need to, to do is we, we've got a great platform. It's, it's comparable to anything else out there and, and it's certainly heading to, to surpass that. Um, but we really, really need um, people to understand who we are what the culture is like of, of the business, what the culture is like of the area, uh, know that we're approachable, um, know that they can now pick up the phone to a number of the people um, that work here, the team we're in from all around the world because we've got people in all areas of the globe here. Um, and, and, you know, meeting Chris face-to-face, he can pick up the phone anytime, uh, give me a call, as can anybody else that was out here. Uh, and just to give them a feel of who and what we are, I, I think that's... The, that's really important for us, but hopefully to gain a couple of supporters along the way. Yeah, it was interesting when we were driving in the van, you know, we, we, we went uh, by van from place to place. So all the journalists were together and they were researching my articles because I was the first one to ever publish anything on my wish back in, in 2022. At the bottom of a lot of my articles, it says my wish was contacted, but failed to buy the statement, right? Because that's, that's the, the response that I always got back then. And I had to do my own research and, and, you know, through back channels, get as much information as I could. That culture has done a 180, right? With, uh, with the, the new, the new people that are, that are, uh, in place over at my wish, uh, very receptive, very open, uh, very community focused. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you've been a fantastic supporter of us. Uh, and, and you know, I think in a way, Chris, you've probably definitely helped, um, push us to, to this place, knowing we needed to, to, to be out there and, and show who we are and what we're doing. Uh, so thank you very much for that and the support um, that you've given us. Um, but look, we, 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 it's not we have to do this, we want to do this. We, we want people to really understand who we are and what we do. Um, we want, as I think I said in the previous chat that we've had, I want or we want this business to be driven by the community. Tell us what you want. Tell us what type of racing you want. Tell us what sort of courses you want. Tell us what features and functionalities you'd like in the game. And, and that's where we want to head towards. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, just coming up on that point that uh, Chris mentioned there, I, I've seen, you know, the engagement of my whoosh in the community on the social channels has really stepped up. You know, whether whether the, the comments have been good or bad, supportive or not from the community, you know, if they just need a bit of help with coaching or need a little bit of help of getting on board, what I've seen is my Woosh team have been really quick to respond. And we've not always seen that from other organizations. So, yeah, I, I, think, I agree, Chris. It's been a, in a total reversal. Matt, I've got to ask you another question because obviously Chris is out there representing Cycle Weekly. He's representing the Virtual Velo Network. I think this is probably one of his first major press conferences. So can, can you... How was, how was Chris, as a journalist, you know, sat in front of you asking these questions, how was Chris at his first press conference? Yeah, he was good. He was good. I, I could see him sitting there and his mind was ticking over, um, wanting to ask a, a number of things. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, Chris is certainly coming from uh, not a pure esports side of things, but very much supportive of, of that part of, of virtual cycling. Um, and Chris was very interested in that. But... He certainly behaved himself. He certainly um, took in all the new features and functionalities. And, you know, we had a, um, we may have stuck down for a Belgian beer cafe beer uh, on the first evening before it all started. So uh, he was, it was great. It was, everybody was, everybody, I think people were a bit tentative to start with um, on day one. They sort of didn't know what we're getting into or who we were or any of that. But by last night uh, at the end of it in the press conference, everyone was comfortable and, and open and, and chatting. And yeah, I think it's the most positive thing we've done. Yeah, it, it was funny at the first press conference because it was opened up for questions. Matt opened up for questions, and there was like a a very short pause, 
before I started asking questions. And I think that the questions didn't stop for like 15 minutes. And then like everybody was looking at me and I almost got the sense that they were going to start asking me questions. And I'm like, oh, geez, I'm, I'm doing it again. I need to stop this. I'm going to annoy everyone here. I'm going to end up I'm going to end up on a flight, an early flight home. But no, it was actually looking back. Um, you know, it's just it's just this, the, the, the same thing that I always tell my kids. Nobody cares how much, you know, unless they know how much you care. Right. And I'm just passionate about this. So, you know, it's I know it came across and I, I, I kind of stopped myself because this isn't really the forum. And I knew that we would be speaking to you here so we'd have chances to go into depth. But I think that I, I it's safe to say that I differentiated myself as the, the expert in the room there amongst the journalists. Yeah, you certainly you certainly um, were, were further across the product than most. Um, but hopefully we've, we've caught them up over the last few days and, um, and, and yeah, next time it'll be, um, be them informing it, uh, the other journalists that come along. <laughs> Chris, the font of knowledge. All right. We, we, we've got to, we've got to get into this topic. We've got to talk about worlds there. Cause obviously you guys are, are hosting the worlds for the next three years. The, the first one coming up in October. So we're not a million miles away now. This is, this is going to creep up quick. So do you want to give us an overview? What, what's the vision? What was the vision when my wish I got handed the UCI Worlds. Look, the vision from two perspective was uh, we've got a platform that can bring more people to esports. Um, the platform's free, of course. Um, we wanted to make it very accessible. So, so that was we've got the tool in which to deliver it. That was the first thing that we all spoke about in here. And then it was about how do we create this as a standalone sport, not a side piece of, of all the other sports. The next question we asked ourselves was how do we make indoor virtual cycling as racing, not bringing outdoor cycling indoors? And then we ended up down the track of, well, what sort of event will we put together that gives all aspects of uh, physiological capabilities a chance to win this race? Um, and we'll go into that a little bit more as, as we go through it. But they're the questions that we sort of asked ourselves in relation to the event and the platform itself. And then we went to the art team and said, this is what we want. Um, what, are you, what can you guys put together? And, and Chris has seen some of it. And literally the hair stand up on the back of your neck when you see the detail uh, and the work that has gone into these bespoke worlds that we've built for this world championships. It's a, it's really pretty mind blowing, Sai. It's uh, the 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 pictures and the the live shots are are really pretty mind blowing. You know, it's it was a you know we got we had the big screen at the press conference last night and uh, it was displayed very prominently there. And you know, it was the thing that 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 struck me is that none of it was enhanced, right, Matt? It was all just what you what was on the screen, and they took they took a video of it, and that was that. Yeah, literally off a laptop that afternoon that was recorded. I'm just interested to pick on something you said there, and you know, you, you and you keep talking about esports, you know, of course. And there's, I think, there's a lot of people who were there's a differentiation between cycling esports and a cycling fitness platform, for example, you know, and that that's been a topic we we've discussed in the past. So, is that you know, do you think a fitness platform slash cycling esports can cross both of those? Or are you specifically targeted at cycling esports? You know, or because I'm just putting this out there because I did see one of your colleagues posted out there about doing some group exercise or group training sessions, video on demand, and so on. So, you know, is that also aimed at the cyclist, or is that aimed at general fitness? People just want to improve their health. I think long term, 
that's probably where all the platforms will, will tend to go. That's where the larger market size is. Um, but at the moment, we are heavily invested in esports. We're heavily invested in building cycling communities. Um, and Chris will will certainly have seen what is happening here in Abu Dhabi with the bunches going around and the, the racing aspect and, and all of the things that's happening here. Um, we want to build out something that the community enjoy riding on. We want to support fitness. We want to support all of those things. However, with Sunday Race Club, with the World Championships coming up, there is a heavy, heavy focus on us getting uh, taking esports to the next level. So I was, as I've mentioned uh, in the intro, and I mentioned to you yesterday, Matt, I was extremely impressed by the the level of knowledge and engagement that I received from Michael Rogers concerning esports. I want to get a sense from you because I, I didn't get a chance to answer, ask you. How was it working with uh, the UCI? Are they all in on esports? Are they looking towards the future? Yeah, look, they are. Um, Michael's been absolutely fantastic guiding us through this process as well and, and being very open and sharing what's worked and what's not worked in, in the past. And and Michael has a background in, in this, of, of course. He, he was um, uh, had his own platform at, at one point in time. So Michael's very passionate about esports racing and, and I suppose virtual cycling or indoor cycling, whatever you want to call it. Um, but without Michael's support and the UCI support as a whole, um, I don't think we would have pulled this together as quickly or as well as we had. Um, they are—they were all here. We had a president um, here and, and, and a number of their board members last night. They—they um, they see that there is something in this. Now, it's not just in the esports side, but in the community side and the accessibility for cycling. So, so they are all about cycling and the expansion of cycling all around the world. And I think one of the easier ways to do that is to have something that is safe and it's indoors and it's accessible and all of those things. And the racing aspect then can fall out of that. And, and Mara Ginetti was, was there last night as well from um, the UAE Team Emirates. And even he was chatting to me about all the different things that indoor or, or virtual esports and testing and training and, and, and how it's used in, in that professional aspect as well now. So we're a very, very big part of cycling, virtual cycling, right? It's everybody does it. Like think of anybody that doesn't ride indoors these days. And I can't come up with anybody that I know that doesn't own a smart trainer in, in our sport. It's just around there's work to be done in the esports side. And we're really hopeful that what we're starting to bring out with, with firstly with Sunday Race Club and now into this, we really, really get it to the point where people are going, I actually want to sit up and watch this. I, I want to do this myself. And I think that after people see what we do this year, and you've seen a, a bit of an insight into that now, I think we'll really get there. No, I think it's a, it's a really interesting. I mean, you and I, Matt, are both from two different countries, but of you know, two countries who've had really strong uh, talent identification programs historically. You know, I know we've discussed this before about you know utilizing these cycling esports platforms as a talent identification pathway. You know, getting the youth through into cycling in whichever form, and then hopefully moving on to whichever form they want to move on, whether that means staying in cycling esports or moving to road or or cyclocross, what it you know moving forward might be. The other thing I want I want to ask you about, you know, just moving on a bit further into the worlds, then is the qualification. Again, this is something we discussed before because, of course, some of the national governing bodies already technically announced that they were having a qualification. You know, USAC, for example. Um, and I know, you know, Chris has spoke to Jim Miller and the, you know, people over at USAC previously, but 
What's going to happen then in terms of qualification? Is it, have you now got links with national governing body ways? What does that pathway look like to get to the Worlds in October? Yeah, so look, so the best way for this is to probably work backwards rather than from, from the bottom up. So we're going to have a final live in Abu Dhabi, and we'll go through the stages and things a little bit later on, of course. Final live in Abu Dhabi with 20 male and 20 female athletes um, racing in, in a live environment, on a stage, etc., in, in an arena, okay? And there, there will be, hopefully, a number of wild cards added to, to that number. Um, now, the pathway to get to that is um, 150 males and 150 females will be selected by their national federations or bodies or whatever we would like to call them um, to race what, let's call it the semifinals, now, out of that semi-final is how that 20 are selected to come to the final. Now, a number of those spots are open for my WUSH qualifiers, and um, it's about 20%, and the federations will have the rest of them. So if we go back to your original question now, we're working with the federations all around the world, and I think we've got a list of, let's call it 30, it might be one or two, two the other way where our relationship manager, Bart, is contacting and working with them on a daily basis and, and with the UCI to talk about how can we deliver your selection criteria? Um, how can we put this together for you? I have a team here that will put together any event on any route at any distance with any elevation. Uh, we'll put the country jerseys in. We'll do anything we can to allow them to qualify on the platform. Now, some... Um, countries have held their championships, but whether they choose to use those as qualifiers is up to themselves, and maybe um, they will qualify some extra athletes through us. So you said you mentioned 150 male, 150 females, but that's spread across all the different national governing bodies, right? So a different governing bodies typically have different allocations yeah. that they put forward, if I if I remember rightly. Correct. Okay, but it's up. So it's but it's still up to those national governing bodies how they go through that selection process. Has has always been in the case. When are you looking to run those qualifying events? So you have dates in mind for those? I'm ready to go. Um, you know, we, we can run them anytime, sort of from mid February on, right through until the cutoff. The last date I could probably run one is about September. So it's it's entirely up to the national federations on what dates they would like to run those. And I'm happy to work with them. I'm happy to work with emerging countries. Um, I, considering I have some spots of, that belong to my whoosh, if there's an emerging country that contacts us and said, hey, can we take a couple of spots? Let's work with them. If I need to expand the 150 to 160, let's do it. Let, let's get people in this race is, is what I'm looking for. So, Sai, I don't know if you remember that that Star Trek event that I yeah. uh, attended yeah. in New York City uh, probably a month ago, right? I, I had a conversation with Jim Miller and it, it became very apparent to me that he hadn't made contact with my wish yet. So when I found out that I was coming over here, one of my main goals of the trip was to, to connect them. So, you know, you know how like, you know, I want my, my, my national governing body to be as involved in this process as possible. And if I can help out, I did. So it, uh, it actually worked out. I got, I got Bart and Jim hooked up and I know that, uh, you know, the, the whole timing of the qualification for the u.s and the selection criteria that they created it isn't it isn't optimal as far as a uh, timing goes you know the having a team that was selected already and the the event isn't until october so just so the uh the u.s cyclists know there there's a very strong chance that there might be a, another selection going on with a with a qualifying series going on my wish two other things i just want to pick up on you mentioned you mentioned first of all 
my woosh spots. But then you mentioned wildcard spots as well, which is really interesting to me. So, I mean, I was on another podcast not so recently. I was on The Wrap with uh, with Nathan on there, and, and they asked me whether I think pros, you know, the traditional pro road riders should be getting into cycling esports moving forward. Is that maybe something, Matt, that you've identified with these wild cards? You know, because I, I did see Tade was uh, was in some of those photos this week. Yeah, yeah, Tade was uh, was there last night. Um, um, I don't think my wife slept. She's still so excited about um, the riding. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we did 10k with Tade, and I think my wife took up nine and a half kilometers of chatting to him. Um, but look, we will reserve those spots for high pro high profile male and female athletes um, if they've. You know, if they've earned their, their way to real world championships or, you know, major victories in, in the world tour and their schedule does not allow them to go through a qualification process, uh, we certainly will look at um, how we can include the best riders in the world that may not have been able to uh, to, to follow that process. And, and I honestly don't think anybody racing would um, would be too upset if we allocated Tadea spot or, or anybody of that calibre. Yeah. So what about, uh, sorry, I know you want to ask a question, guys. I just want to ask about, you mentioned the public pathway then. If, if, if an athlete is not traditionally getting selected through their national governing body, you've got a pathway also that, uh, that riders could get to Worlds, right? Yeah, definitely. So that will be run by my whoosh. Um, my goal at the moment is to allow the national federations to select their teams firstly. What I don't think is fair is if I go out and start running qualifiers straight away uh, and I take all of their good athletes out of their own events and they've already qualified and they just ignore their own federations. I don't think that's fair on on anybody. We want the best riders racing for their spots in in their national championships. However, some of them may not not make uh, the team. They may not have been able to make that day. They may be sick. But they also might be people from the, from the public that have gone, well, you know, I want to qualify this way. So I'll have open public uh, events in which we'll have the normal verification processes and all the wonderful things we do for Sunday Race Club each week. And if they follow those guidelines and, and the people are the fastest, whether I, I run some, some time trials, some general racing, some point scores, some different things that, that we can run. And we might have one event that has 20 or 30 spots, but we might run 20 or 30 events with one spot. So we'll be guided a little bit by the community, um, by the federations as well. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll certainly um, offer some of those places through a different pathway. So one thing that'll be very interesting to the teams is how many riders they're, they're allotted. And I thought it was really um, a thoughtful process that, that uh, Michael Rogers outlined during the press conference. Maybe you can tell us about uh, the, the allocation process there. Yeah, look, Michael has worked very, very hard on this and, and he's used a number of different things to do with, you know, um, qualifiers for road world championships, people that, are, that, are, that qualified last year um, where the federation sort of fit with, within the UCI. And look, I can't comment exactly on, on how Michael did that because uh, Michael came up with such a robust formula that I think um, I went cross-eyed and got a headache um, when he put it all together. But it's extremely robust. It's extremely fair. Um, some com- countries, I believe, will have up to 10 um, riders will be qualified and, and filtering down to countries that have got two or three. All right, that's, that's good to know. Wait, guys, I, I can't keep this question back any longer because I know you both 
have a well, Matt. Of course, you've you've put the format together. Chris has been there for the press conference. Chris has purposely not told me anything about the race format for the worlds. So this is going to be. I just want the listeners know this is going to be fresh to my ears as well. So the reaction, you know, I'm going to try and pick apart as much as I can. But tell us about the format. What is the format going to be for the UCI Cycling Esports Worlds in October? Okay, so it's going to be a three-stage points event. Firstly. So it's going to be accumulation of points, obviously, over those three stages. Now, the best way to break it down is it's each stage is going to be approximately 15 to 20 minutes long. There's going to be points allocated from certain aspects in each stage, which I'll go through in a moment. Um, there'll be approximately five to 10 minute break between stages. So the whole thing will be over and done with within an hour of 15, hour 20 minutes, and we'll know who our world champions are. So stage one. Uh, stage one is very, very different to anything that I personally have seen, certainly in, in cycling esports. Um, it's, think, Formula One qualifying. So we've built a specific circuit that's 1.7 kilometres long. Within that circuit, there is a segment. So a point-to-point segment that is 300 metres long. Riders will have 15 minutes to set their fastest time in that 300-metre segment. Wow. They they may attempt it once, they may attempt it four or five times. They they literally may only ride a kilometer uh, in that that whole stage if they set the fastest time. They're going to have to sit on the fence, wait for a draft, go out early, wait till the end. Um, think they've set a time and then have to go back out and try to set another time again. And they've got fifteen minutes, and it will be then allocated fastest through to slowest, and the points allocated directly to that. Wow, wow, that that sounds. I was just saying, when you mentioned draft there, I all of a sudden realized that, yeah, I guess you could have multiple riders out there at the same position on the track at the same time. If you've got this allotted time and a one, let's say 1.7 kilometer circuit, then uh, there should, yeah, there should be interesting tactics there. Chris, you've had a little bit longer to digest. What, what are your thoughts? Well, the, the, the thing that, that Matt kind of left out here is that they're going to have a live um, leaderboard. Yeah that you're going to be able to check out. So you will be able to see where the riders are yeah. standing up against each yeah. other. So I could just the storylines that can be built from that, you know, you know, rider a just set a great time, but rider B is sitting back to wait and see what, what he did so that he can best his time. But the other thing that, that really hit me is that that race um, in particular to me makes it a, a, like a real team event. Like you really have to set a GC because if you if you line up all your guys and then set them free on at you know three hundred meters to go, you know the it's, yeah you know, I never thought about that. I can't really see a, a faster way to do it. Yeah, so yeah, so that that's legit, right? So if we if GB for example have got seven riders there for qualification, we we could do a lead we as if I'm going to be there. <laughs> we they could do a lead out for their you know their main contender as such. I didn't even think of that, Chris. That's genius. And and what we've uh, what I should have probably prefaced this with is. The design of this has been that anybody from let's let's call look we're associated with road cycling predominantly okay so anybody from a road sprinter to a climber and everybody in between will have to make strategic decisions. Can I win the race? Can I put the points together based on what we're going to go through today? And can I win the world championship? So the road sprinters, they're going to come right to the fore. They're they're going to be yeah, they're going to be. 10, 15, 20 points in front after stage one than the climbers. No, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, there's going to be some, I mean, that is a, some cool gamification right there because like you say, 
yeah, necessarily don't put your sprinter to pick up all those points, but you use your sprinter to get the best all rounder to the lot. That's it reminds Maybe. me of the, the, the Dutch speed skating, you know, and, and the team, the team speed skating they do, and you, you know, how they position their riders. It's not about or the skaters, it's not the strongest riders, but it's the team who work together and have the best tactical plan. All right, so that, that that's right. That sounds I'm already excited now. Ra race two, where race, race two, two is the insight in that. Yeah, race two is a nine-kilometer circuit. Um, it's a difficult circuit. So it heads out from the start, and let's just say they're rolling hills. That's all they are. They're, yep. they're six or eight percenters that are a couple of hundred meters long. Uh, I don't see anyone being any huge difficulty in them, but if you went hard enough through them, they're going to hurt. So I think the bunch is going to come together. I think it's about six and a half, seven kilometers in, they hit the bottom of the climb. Now, before we get to the climb, there is a first across the line points at the bottom of the climb. Now, if I'm a sprinter and I've picked up, yeah, top five points in the first stage, do I go all in for that sprint at the bottom of the climb, take the points and sit up and roll to the finish? Do I, as the climber, do I follow the brake that tries to get to those points? And then I hit the hill, I'm already going to be, I'm going to be hurting if I've sprinted. And the climb, let's call it a climb, the climb is approximately four minutes long. Now we've specifically designed that with World Tour coaches, that that is the physiological crossover between a sprinter capability and a climber's capability. Now, if you think Milan San Remo, when they come up that, that last climb, the Poggio or whatever it's called in, in Italian, which my Italian's not great. Um, I've seen Caleb Ewan, one of the best sprinters in the world, follow today over that last few minutes of that climb. So again, there's a decision if you are one of the sprinters or one of the climbers, do I not go for the race to the bottom of the climb? Do I wait, try to take the points that are on offer at the top of the climb? And then from the top of the climb, it's a 90 kilometer hour descent into a one kilometer dead flat straight line finish with double points on offer. Now, I understand sometimes this may be hard for people to take in, certainly with us chatting through it, but it, it will build the stories around this. Um, the riders will be will certainly understand who they're racing against. The live leaderboard will be constantly updating. And so the riders have to make these strategic decisions all the time on which, I suppose, which area or which line of points am I going to go for? I mean, it, it, I guess this is also going to, I mean, that, again, it sounds like an in, incredible stage. Yeah, and I'm already starting to think of, you know, riders or teams and, and stealing points almost on some of those early segments which is something to think about but i guess this is also just thinking about that now you've only got 20 men and 20 women that it, i guess you're not necessarily going to have three brits three aussies three us guys in there you know we who knows what combination we're going to get so there could be some really interesting just think about that though is there a risk then if if a nation has more riders that qualify in that 20. Does, does that really tip the balance, do you think? Or do you think the format, may, maybe I should save that question now. I'm just starting to think, it, does that tip the format in favour if a nation has you know, has quarter of the race field, for example? Yeah, look, it could. Um, I think in stage one, that certainly can come into play. And stealing some points to the bottom of the climb could be in play. Um, I think the stage is, is quite difficult. Um, I think the stronger riders are going to have to come to the front anyway. Uh, I think having one or two teammates there is not going to be a huge advantage. If he had seven or eight, yeah, but I, I think there might be one yeah. or two get through. And, and yeah, I, I don't see that being a, a, being an issue. 
All right. What, what about race three then? Yeah, it takes race on to the three. final stage. Yeah, four-kilometer circuit, uh, four laps, so 16 kilometers, uh, basically a flat stage except for a 50-second effort to the top of the hill each lap where the points will be on offer on each lap and double points on the finish line. So again, the, the stronger guys, the sprinter types, they may go all out and take some points on lap one and that may hopefully give them enough to hold on on the overall points where the, the climbers and the, and the lighter, stronger style of rider may really push on and try to get the, the points on laps two, three and four on the finish. And I honestly don't think we will know the world champion until they cross the finish line uh, on that third stage. Yeah. No, absolutely. So it, that that's like a, a, a points race on, on the track in a way. And, you know, I really like the way of that. So that's accumulating points all the way through. It's not like race one, then the person of, who wins race one of the points gets 20 points or 19 and so on. Because I, I think that really messes up points races. If it's, yeah, these are the points, this is what you earn. You know what you've got to chase for on the on those final efforts. That makes a lot of sense. That sounds really exciting, Matt. Chris, what what were your thoughts? You've had a little bit of time to sit on this and uh, and think about it. It's obviously different. It's unique. It's innovative. It's uh, in my mind, it's you know disruptive. It's moving the sport forward. It's you know one of the things that that Matt said in one of the press conferences is that is that we're in the entertainment business and this is cycling esports is entertainment to me. You know, if it's three racers that are 15 to 20 minutes with 10 minute break in between, the, the world championship could be decided in an hour and 15 minutes if things are moving along efficiently. Right. You know, that's that's a broadcast that will that will keep you you know interested and engaged. So it's I don't know. I, I, I'm uh, really looking to see how it uh, how it all plays out. Si. I, I mean, it, it's I've got lots of questions going on my, my head now, Matt. So apologies. It might be a little bit of a, a quick fire here. Um, have you actually fixed, I keep talking about October, we fixed a date in October now? Yeah, 26th. 26th of October, fantastic. And what about then the the equipment? You know, what are we going to have everyone on the same equipment? What you know? Do we know what that equipment's going to be? Yeah, it will be Elite Justo Trainers. So everyone's on their own bike? Yes. Attached to an Elite Justo Trainer. Okay. Yes. What about in terms of, you know, the, the rider's verification then and, and sort of understanding the I guess the power profiles and the, and the verification process, what, at what stage will my whoosh pick that up? Yeah. So we'll take that right from, and, and this is why we would like to ride the, have the, all the federation qualifiers on the platform. The more data that we have on riders, the better that we can, we can verify them on behalf of not just my whoosh, but on the sport as a whole, we want the riders to be verified. We want them to be legitimate. We want to see the best numbers in the world. I actually want people to walk away and say, I can't believe that they did eight watts a kilo up that climb. Yeah, because there's always all this chat around, oh, when the race is broadcast, they never make the numbers that they used to make and, and all of those things. We've put an event together where they have to make the numbers. They're not going to be able to wait. Okay, so people are going to see some outrageous numbers, which is just fantastic that what we, what we, um, what we want from the, um, from the event. Um, sorry, so what was the other part to that, that question? Sorry, mate. No, I, well, I think that you addressed all the questions pretty well there that I asked you. But you know, one uh, question that I've, I've asked you in the past, and I and I didn't actually bring it up to you ahead ahead of time here in in, in pre production, so I'm, I might be putting you on the spot. But we had discussed the expenses for the athletes, and that, that it might be prohibitive for some of them to to make it to the live final. Has there uh, any decisions made as far as that's concerned for the athletes? Uh, yes, there has. Um, I'm, my presumption is that it, that it is public that we will be supporting those athletes to come to Abu Dhabi. 
two more questions, and then and then I do just want to address one more one more point. But I'll come on to that about about the power profiles and the athletes and so on. But obviously, I'm racing. I race one of your high profile events, the Sunday Race Club, every single week, and, and you know I love what's happening there with the broadcast and what you're doing with the racing. This format is very different for the worlds than what you currently do on the Sunday Race Club, and I'm very excited about what you what you've just explained there. So. When will the community, or will the community, be able to race very similar formats? Because I'm going to be really honest now, the issue we've had previously when it's been on Swift, for example, is that some of those formats, and even some of the formats we see on their weekly races, are not available to the community. So are these formats going to be available to to me as an event organizer or a team owner on, on the MyWish platform? 100% they are. So our aim is to have that world live in the not-too-distant future. Um, in the early stages, we will just run events on there to, to get a bit of a feel and see how it's all coming together. Um, after a little period of time there, we will open it up for general free ride uh, and people can people can use that route. They can train on it. Again, it took coming back to your verification and those things. I want people out there learning the route. I want them practicing on it. I want them to understand how the racing works. It's going to give us a better yeah. final. Okay, you mentioned world there as well then. I'm, I made the assumption before we jumped on this call that it was going to be in Zurich. Your world was going to be based in Zurich because I think that's where the roads are in 2024. Is that assumption right or is, is it a brand new world? No, it's a brand new world, totally brand new world. Um, all Everything is is designed for this event specifically. It's not a replication of any real roads in the world. Um, it's, it certainly has a little bit of that sort of Swiss yep. theme to it, uh, which is where the UCI are as well. It's, it's, it's heavily rainbow um, world champion branded, as, as Chris would have seen last night. Uh, it's... Yeah, it's just when you see the artwork and things, it's it's phenomenal. There's a little bit of a secret out. You actually come through the velodrome. Ah. Um, some of the some of the things are it's it's just awesome in in what you see. Um, and yeah, that that's sort of the theme of of the world. We haven't got a great name for it yet, so I'd like to throw out to anybody out there that sort of put some comments in, or either of you of you know we've come up with should we call the world champions quest or quest for a podium or. You know, some, but when you've got a couple of um, middle-aged cyclists here, and we've uh, we haven't we uh, we haven't come up with anything fantastic. I talk middle-aged in, in our team here, not not so much you, side, but maybe um, <laughs> maybe Chris and I'll fit into that. Um, so if anyone comes yeah, up with absolutely. some great ideas, I I certainly I can. I'm sure I can dig out a my wish jersey or something for them if they come up with a, what we could call that three-stage world. A link to the UCI Sports World Championships in in any of your socials that well, you send out. That's I mean that's great to hear. So we'll, we'll certainly put that in there. Throw throw your ideas out there to the team. But you you've just also reminded me. I, I read the other press conference that went out because this podcast is going out on Monday, which is when the embargo is lifted that we can talk about this. But of course, I've also saw that Mywish are taking and partnering with UCI for the road side of of the sport as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've been working with the UCI on, on setting up how can we uh, sort of, you know, promote the virtual cycling, how, how, can we, um, how can we align with that, how can we get those virtual roads uh, in, in, in the virtual world for the next three years. So um, the, main, the, the main part for us is we'll use the key parts of the UCI Road World Championship routes and, and put them into, into the game that's available for the public so they can ride and, and race on those on those routes, so we're working on the um, on the 27 kilometer route at the moment. We're going to look after the time trial activation, uh, sort of warm up area. We're going to have an on site activation, so people can come out and check out my whoosh. And with a little bit of luck, we'll have some drink bottles and some hats and some things like that to throw out to the crowd and to engage with everybody. 
Um, it's about, as, as we've sort of talked about earlier, it's about MyWish actually being out there, being on the front foot, people getting to know the brand, what we're trying to achieve in, in, in the marketplace and, and aligning with that, that World Championships, which is the biggest one-day event you know, in, in the world, especially this year in Switzerland. There'll, there'll be upwards of a million people there. Uh, we just have to be yeah, part of that. Yeah. And, so we, yeah, we and no hold. doubt the UCI see the, you know, the link, I guess, between... In fact, you know, I know in one of Chris's interviews, he spoke to David Lepontier, for example, and, and I think he mentioned in the pathway potentially of cycling esports, maybe onto other activities like the road, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. He uh, definitely, you know, his words were, it's a bridge. And, you know, I, of course, wanted him to say, no, indoor cyclists are only indoor cyclists. So they're, they're only uh, esports specific cyclists. But no, he's, no he, uh, he sees that there's a, there's a crossover potential there. And he actually did mention y- your arguments, I, that, you know, it would be pretty good for cycling esports if we had a, a road guy that was also an esports guy that was also a cyclocross guy. But no, he, he felt that it was a, a great way to introduce people to, to cycling and to racing that may not otherwise um, be introduced to cycling because they're, they have barriers, you know, maybe due to traffic or weather or, or even, you know, gender, you know, gender, uh, you know, sometimes it's easier for a woman to get onto cycling. Sometimes it's a little bit put offish to be riding with men. Um, and he, he specifically mentioned that, you know, the, the event is, you know, it's obviously a, a really positive thing for the sport moving forward, but we can't deny the fact that our sport does have um, an issue. And one of those issues is verifying performances that sometimes are seen as outside of what may be realistic for an athlete to form. And there there was something that that happened over the weekend. And the commitment to uh, to the community here is to get that information out. You know, Matt, you, you know, you've been really open and you're, you're, you're willing to explore this with us. And we also made a commitment to not name any names here, but those those names are public if you want to go in and take a look. And But maybe you can uh, just give us a brief description of the issue and what you're doing to rectify the issue. Yeah, Chris, you actually touched on the issue inadvertently a moment ago, and that's road cycling and, and versus being an, an indoor cyclist or virtual cyclist. And um, it being, you know, a different athlete, a different, a different sport. So all of the known data in this sport is linked to world tour riders. Okay. So, so it's, if you're involved enough in, in this industry, people know what sort of numbers world tour riders can make from, you know, 15 seconds through to 20 minutes through to, through to an hour. What's interesting is how does that align with indoor esports racing? So should they be the world's best? And what, what has happened or what has been happening to a point is we're seeing our races on Sunday Race Club in Category 1 starting to touch on or exceed the known world's best scenario. Now, it's an interesting thing because you sit here as, as the head of the verification team and you say, are these guys cheating? Are they really good cyclists that are bending the rules by 5%, 10% and, and hitting numbers that, you know, they look close enough and, and will they get by? Or have we got a situation where we have a new normal? What if these guys are training specifically for one-hour esports events? They're using um, different cadences. They're um, using torque more than power. They're doing all of these different things. And what's happened is it's got to a point for us where we need to bring some of those uh, elite athletes to Abu Dhabi and, and do some, some testing. Um, have them race live 
Because what I want to do more than anybody involved in esports is to come out to the world and say, look at what we've just done and look at the numbers that our guys are hitting. Um, and by bringing in, doing this verification, going through the process, I'm very confident that we're going to see the new normal and the new numbers being hit from probably anywhere from one to five minutes uh, are beyond World Tour riders. No, I, th- I think it's a, a really good point. You know, in, I, I've watched lots of cycling esports events over the over the last couple of years, and inevitably in the chat when these races are going on, there's there's what they call traditional road cyclists. And let's not forget, we're you know the three of us sat around this table now. We're a road cyclist. We've you know we've raced in that sport. You know, and, and say, you know, how are these guys doing more power than Cav could put out on a sprint or this guy's could put out on a climb? And we've seen it this time, Chris, in, in Zwift Grand Prix. There were some numbers out there that are probably beyond what a World Tour riders have perceived to have, you know, or have done in the past, if you, if you like. So and for me, I, what I really like, and, and I kind of agree that, you know, we, we've got to assess what is going on because we're not on a traditional bike. You know, mine's got sandbags weighing it down, for example, to keep it stable. The bike doesn't move in the same way the road bike does when I'm out on the road. So things are different. You know, you've only got to see the video. You know, we on Sunday Race Club this week, a lot of the riders were on the video and just seeing some of the setups and the way these riders ride to generate that torque and power through the pedals is very different than what you see in the peloton. But I like what you did there. You know, I know that just from my experience, when I started to exceed the numbers that I'd put out in the power passport test for my week, I just got an email saying, we just need you to do this test again because you've started to exceed the numbers. Now that might be that you're getting fitter or stronger or whatever it might be, but it, you know, we just went through the test. Yes. The numbers improved and, and we're all rosy again, you know, and I, I like what you said there that, so your plan there is you're basically going to, because we can all see who the three riders were, who, who had the line put through the, the names on Sunday. You're hopefully going to bring those riders in and, and, and do some more investigation and and, and set, maybe the bar's just set a different place. It's I think it's wrong for us to cast any aspersions, right? We've we've got to go through this testing process. Yeah, we really do. And look, we our aim is to have them in the next 30 days. Um, they're working with us. We've, we've also uh, sent that same um, invitation to one of the female athletes. It's not just, just a couple of the male athletes. Um, we had Zach Nair come in um, on the – he raced Sunday Race Club live in, in the lab here last week and I sat there and watched him and when he walked in I said to myself there's no way this guy can make this power and Zach ran fifth on a borrowed bike on a trainer he'd never ridden before and I nearly fell off my chair at the numbers and, and, and what he was doing right and he's not winning these races so look I, I want to make it very clear if I just have the opportunity that those riders that are in question whilst they, it says uh, that they have been annulled from the race um, that probably is something we need to have managed maybe a little bit better. They're a null pending. Um, they will be, we will We will certainly pay the riders that, that we have, um, you know, I think Zach came up in the third place from fifth because of that. We will certainly pay Zach his third place. But if the if the people that we have a null approve that they've done those numbers, firstly, we will pay them their prize money. Um, we will reinstate, we will reinstate them. Um, and that we will be certainly um, certainly going public with saying, hey, this is this is the new normal for indoor cycling. All right, so I you know I think we can move on from that. We, we've gone far enough. I think that we got the, got those details out. So a few more things that the community is going to be really interested in is uh, Apple TV coming soon, Matt. Yeah, very soon, 
very soon. Um, it, it will be, yeah, inserted sooner rather than later. Um, we've, as as you know, we it's it's about getting more than three data streams, and that's what we're really working on heavily. Um, we could have released it with being unavailable for our premium events long before now, uh, but we want people to be able to race our premium events, be able to have dual recording via Apple TV, and that's what we're finalising at the moment. But the answer is, yeah, it certainly will be sooner rather than later. There's going to be uh, an outside app uh, for engagement with the with the uh, with the MyWish app. Yeah, correct, and that that will go hand in hand with the Apple TV. Really exciting side because I I could see you being the the next uh, fitness model here, um, <laughs> video on demand video and live video uh, on MyWish. Maybe you can describe that because I th- the way that you've implemented it, I think is uh, is really cool, functional. Telling Sai in a pre-production that when you're riding along, the coach is speaking, but then if you coast to a stop, then the, the coach stops speaking and waits for you to get back onto the bike. It's, uh, it's really pretty ingenious. Yeah, it's, look, it's fantastic. So we'll have two aspects of that. So there'll be video on demand, um, which will be filmed by... Um, by my whoosh they'll be available yeah 24 7 click on it it will be a proper specific cycling related workout it might be a sprint session a vod uh, or whatever a, a um, ftp etc um so they'll be available for people and then we'll have live coaching where people literally can jump on live in a group um we could have uh, you know elite athletes uh, fitness people famous people running people through a, a session in the future that maybe coaches can can have their own their own networks on there and, and some things like that but that's some pretty exciting stuff we've got coming oh great that that kind of pushes us back to that question i asked i guess right at the start about esports and then the the general health and fitness i think that's uh you know, I'd say it's, it's the biggest market. And if we can start to get those guys indoor and ride a bike with the, the video on demand stuff, and yeah, may, maybe I'll, I'll get myself an audition tape done, Chris, and, and send that in to, to Matt and the team. It's been a few years since I've done those uh, spinning classes, but I can, I sure I could find the, uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'll, I'll definitely get one of those audition tapes thrown in there again. But no, it sounds like really interesting. And you might want to put on your resume side. Weren't you like a, a spinning instructor, world champ, a world record holder at one point? Isn't that right? <laughs> I, I could see, I could see the uh, the placard right behind thank, you. Thank you for the opportunity of plugging that, Chris. But yeah, you're right. I was in the Guinness Book Records. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us, Matt. Today, I really appreciate the insights into the qualification process, the world that these riders are going to be racing in, links with the national governing bodies, and of course, the format for the UCI Cycling Esports World Championships. Chris, you've had your feet on the ground there. Really appreciate those interviews. Just to say, we're, of course, got a follow-up show coming to this where we are going to play and run through those interviews with uh, Michael Rogers and David Lapontier from the UCI. It'll be really interesting to get their take on, well, I guess, cycling esports and the UCI Worlds coming up later this year. I know also Chris did get to ask Tade Pogaccio himself whether he might participate in the UCI world. So we're going to cover that also in the next podcast. Thank you for joining us to the show. Don't forget, like, subscribe, leave your comments down below, and we'll see you soon for another virtual Velo podcast.